Our next speaker, Dr. Leon Kursik, uh, board-certified dermatologist, uh, also Mohs surgeon, trained under Dr. Frederick Mohs, uh, graduated from the University of Wisconsin, uh, and his dermatology residency at the Buffalo State in New York. Currently teaches at Indiana University uh, as an associate clinical professor in dermatology and medical director of derm research and physician skin care in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Kursik is an author of many, many articles, abstracts and posters, uh, speaks everywhere, and uh, is a fellow New Yorker, good friend of mine. So, Dr. Kursik, please. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, John, for that nice introduction, and uh, good morning, everybody, and thank you for inviting me back to SDPA again. Uh, I'm really honored to be here. Now, uh, this morning, we want to discuss the importance of the vehicle and how topical vehicles relate to epidermal barrier function, because if we understand the epidermal barrier function, then we can understand how the vehicles work. Um, so, can... This is my conflict of interest statement. So I do a lot of clinical studies. Therefore, I do receive funding from several different pharmaceutical companies, including Galaderma, which is the sponsor of this lecture. However, my most important disclosure is, you know I am from Kentucky, but my wife is not my first cousin. I also know that you're wondering if I have shoes on today, so I put my shoes on this morning before I came here. So um, we're going to start with this question. Is clobetazole the same in any formulation? You know, if I, sh I ask this question to primary care providers, they're all gonna say, yeah, what's the difference? Ointment, cream, it's all the same steroid, right? But you guys know better than that that it is not the same. And then I go to the primary care doctor and I say, what if I show you this angel? Would you open your door to this angel? Yes, no? or maybe you don't believe in angels, but even if you don't believe in angels, you will open your door to an angel when you see one. What if I dress up the angel and make him an alcoholic, drug addict, tattoo angel? You ain't gonna open your door. I don't care how religious you are, you're not gonna open your door to that angel. So that's exactly how the skin feels. If you dress up your molecule nicely, the skin is gonna open its door. If not, that molecule, that topical is not gonna work because you can have the best active, the best active steroid, the best antifungal, the best anti-acne drug. You put it on the skin. If it doesn't go through the stratum corneum, it's not gonna do any good. So you really have to dress up your molecule in a way that it can penetrate the skin and it needs to go where it's supposed to go. So that's the key understanding the epidermal barrier, how it functions, and how the vehicles work together with that epidermal barrier. Stratum corneum is a formidable, impassable barrier. The function of skin in life is to protect us from foreign bodies, from outside world, from outside dangers. And guess what? Topical drugs are strangers. So the skin closes its door. They don't want them to go, it doesn't want them to go through. So before I go any further, I just want to go over a couple of terms so that when I, use it, uh, for the, when I use it for the next hour or so, it's clear what it means. Penetration is the entry of the solvent or a solid 
into the particular skin layer. So it has to penetrate the stratum corneum. Permeation means how far it goes through the stratum corneum, at which layer. And absorption means that if you put a topical drug, it may get, if it goes through all the way stratum corneum and through the epidermis and the dermis, it is gonna get absorbed by the vasculature and it becomes a systemic drug. So what's your ideal drug? Your ideal topical drug, I should say, would be the one that you put it on the skin, it penetrates the stratum corneum, it permits through the skin where it's supposed to go, but it stops right there. Because if it gets absorbed by the vasculature, then you're gonna put up with the side effects of that drug, systemic side effects. And that beats the whole purpose of using a topical drug. Then you might as well use an oral steroid. So, but that depends on many different factors. Structure of the skin. Skin is not the same everywhere. You know that your eyelid skin is different than your palmar solar skin. You also know that um, the chemical characteristics of the active molecule as well as the vehicle are different. Then you have how much of the medication you're using. Are you using one, um, you know, a little bit, a lot, and how much or how often you're using. So the dosing and frequency has something to do with it. So if you look at the transport, how it happens, how those things happen, when you put that molecule on the skin, how does it go through the skin? What is the mechanism? So there are two ways. One is called transependential route, and the other one is epidermal route. The transependential route is basically goes through the hair follicles and sebaceous gland, which they are sort of the discontinuities in the skin, and it's less than 1% of all the body surface area. And usually the polar larger ionic molecules go through that. But it's not a major transport. It's almost like uh, Route 1 on the US uh, Highway, US 1. It, uh, it's not being used. It's not like 95. So mostly, we use the epidermal route. Epidermal route, it can be two ways, either intercellular or transcellular. Meaning, transcellular, the molecule goes just through the corneocytes and the lipids. It doesn't have a certain way. The intercellular route goes through the, around the corneocytes through the lipid layer. For that to happen, you have to have a specific type of a molecule. So in order for the um, uh, transcellular route to happen, for the molecule to go through the transcellular route, it has to be hydrophilic or polar. And if the molecule is lipophilic, of course it's gonna choose the way through the lipids because it likes the lipids. Now, so when you choose a topical treatment, we don't even think about it, we just do it automatically when you write that prescription because we write 50, 60 prescriptions a day. But if you think about it, what's the, how do you choose a topical treatment? Are you gonna choose the same vehicle if you're treating scalp versus palms and soles? Are you gonna pick a greasy ointment for a scalp? No. Are you gonna choose the same formulation for a face versus uh, the trunk? Probably not. So you have to find a formulation that works not only for the patient but also for the efficacy-wise. So there are a lot of different decision-making processes that goes through, but we are so used to it that we do it without thinking. Um, the other challenge for the topical treatment, epidermal barrier is not just that pile of skin. It's actually an active barrier. It transforms drugs, it metabolizes drugs. So you can put molecule A on the skin, 
when it goes through the skin, it becomes molecule B, it's totally useless. It's not, it beats the purpose. You used it for acne, now maybe it's not gonna work for that acne because it has become molecule B. So the skin, the stratum corneum, actually metabolizes the drug and changes the chemical entity. So you have to be very, very careful how to manipulate your active molecule so that when it gets where it's supposed to get, it's still active. Actually, vitamin C, topical vitamin C is the best example. Vitamin C is great, but until it gets where it's supposed to get, it doesn't work. Um, so designing an appropriate vehicle takes a lot of considerations, a lot of time, a lot of research. So first, you need to put the drug on the skin, and that's where, by the way, the compliance comes, okay? Nobody can help you with that as a patient. You gotta put that stuff, smear it on the skin. You have to rub it in. It has to go through the stratum corneum. It has to go through the epidermis. Then when it goes through where it's supposed to be, it has to be still active. You don't want that molecule already changed from A to B. Uh, so it has to get to the target. Your target can be pilosebaceous unit. Your target can be hair follicle. Wherever that target is, you have to get to that target. And when you get there, you're still active. So those are the important things. Then it has to be easy to spread, easy to apply, cosmetically acceptable for the patient. So there are so many different factors that go into that formulation technique. One of the important chemicals uh, that we use in, ve in uh, vehicles is our penetration enhancers. What penetration enhancers do help your active molecule to go through the stratum corneum and it makes life easier for them. How do they do that? Remember the um, epidermal root, and I said it goes through the lipids? So the lipids are not that easy to go through. So if you have something emulsifier that fluidizes the lipids between the corneocytes, so the channels become wider and easier to go through. And one of the most common penetration enhancers uh, is propylene glycol. It's cheap, it's abundant, and if you look at the generics, it's full of propylene glycol, especially generic topical steroids. They are full of propylene glycol because it makes the molecule, this topical steroid, go through the skin. The problem with it, propylene glycol in low amounts, it's very useful, not only as a penetration enhancer, but also it's a humectant. It brings the skin, uh, water and humidity to the, from the deeper layer of the skin to the top layer of the skin. So it's like a humidifier. But if you have it higher percentages of propylene glycol, especially more than 30%, then it becomes a contact allergen and it does cause burning and itching as well as contact allergies. So you have to find that right medium. And this propylene glycol issue will come throughout, the, uh, throughout my talk for the next 45 minutes or so. Just keep that in mind, how propylene glycol can affect things positively or negatively. Then there are emulsifiers, detergents that which break down the uh, lipids and make stuff to go through easier. Uh, one of the unique penetration enhancers is isopropyl myrstate, IPM. It basically dissolves, partially dissolves the stratum corneum lipids in order to make the molecule go through. And the best example of it is really in clobetazol spray, in clobex spray. That, active uh, that inactive ingredient, which is the isopropyl mistrate, makes a big difference because this goes back to my original question, is clobetazole the same in every formulation? We all know that clobetazole spray works really, really well 
compared to the ointment, the lotion, the potion, and every other formulation. It is, I was one of the biggest critics, I said, when it comes to the market, why do I need another spray? We have the ointment, we have the lotion, we have the shampoo, we have the foam, but it is unbelievable how well it works, and we know it in all our offices cl from clinical experience that it does work very well. Now, some people say that people use it, compliance is very good, that's why it works very well. But even if you use it, it still has to penetrate the skin. So I think because of that unique penetration enhancer, it does do very, very well. Now, so I think I'm trying to convince you now slowly but surely that the vehicle matters. Next, we're going to look at to the acne world. Benzoyl peroxide is one of the most commonly used acne drugs. It actually is a very great medicine for acne. If you remember, it addresses three out of the four pathophysiologic mechanisms of acne, right? It's antibacterial. It kills P. acnes. It's anti-inflammatory. It is an anti-comodogenic drug. So it actually addresses the inflammatory lesions, non-inflammatory lesions. It even prevents antibiotic resistance if you use it with another topical or oral antibiotic. But patients come and say, hey, doc, I use that stuff. It burns the hell out of my skin. That's because they go and buy the generic over-the-counter stuff. And look at this, this electron microscopy. Look what happens if you use a generic 5% BPO. You put it on the skin. Look at the crystalline stuff. It stays on the skin. So of course, first of all, it's not going to work because it doesn't go to the pilosebaceous unit where it's supposed to go. It's sitting on the skin. Not only it doesn't work, but it irritates the hell out of people's skin because it's sitting there. So therefore, it doesn't work. Now, another way of looking at delivery systems, and it makes a big difference, the microsphere formulation. Most people think about retina micro when they think about the microsphere formulation. But actually, microsphere formulation has been used in CARAC, which is half point five percent five FU. It has been used in a hydroquinone formulation, and it has been used in a benzoyl peroxide formulation. So it is not unique to tretinoin, retina micro. But what it does is it actually holds the tretinoin, and it slowly, upon stimuli, either heat or rubbing, releases that tretinoin slowly but surely, so it certainly does help the irritation. But more importantly, what it does is if you remember, in the old days, we were told that, and we still do it, you always use your retinoid at night. That's because to prevent photosensitivity. That's bogus. That's not the reason. People said don't use the, use the tretinoin at night to avoid the sun exposure so that the tretinoin is still stable because the tretinoin itself is a very photolabile, very unstable product. So you expose it to sun, it breaks down, and it doesn't work. That's why we are so accustomed to use it at night. But if you put the tretinoin in the microsphere formulation, it actually does protect against degradation. And this is one study that they did in vitro. And you look at the tretinoin, generic tretinoin versus retina micro. Six hours later, there is only 10% of the generic tretinoin is left, but 84% of retina micro is left. So the product doesn't degradate when you expose it to UV light after six hours, or at least 84% of it is there. Unlike the generic retinoin, only 20% is left. 
I'm only 10% is left, I'm sorry, after six hours. So that's very important to understand how formulation, how they will delivery systems contribute to the improvement of the active molecule. Another example of it is topical dapson. Oral dapson has been around for many years, right? It's a good anti-inflammatory. We have been using it for a long time. They couldn't make it topical. They couldn't stabilize it. It's a very difficult molecule to stabilize it. So finally, they used a technology called DGME, or diethylene glycol monoethyl ether. Basically, what it does is it helps facilitate the permeation of this active molecule into the skin. And then the undissolved dapson stays in the pilosebaceous unit where it's supposed to be because we are treating acne in this case. And it helps the dissolved dapson to permeate the skin. It's also called transcutol. And believe it or not, transcutol has been used in cosmetic dermatology with cosmeceuticals for a very, very long time. But this is its first foray in medical dermatology in topical treatment. And transcutol, basically the same thing, DGME, it's the other name. What it does is it helps the accumulation in the skin of that active, but most importantly, it prevents the absorption, systemic absorption of that molecule. Because remember, dapson has a lot of side effects, and you want to avoid those side effects, systemic side effects. So in a vehicle like this, now you're killing two birds with one stone. Basically, you are increasing the penetration, help the accumulation of that molecule in the skin with preventing or without increasing the absorption, systemic absorption. So that's the key. Otherwise, that drug would never been approved because you're going to have a bunch of systemic uh, side effects. Look at the power of the vehicle. You know, when you look at the new clinical studies in topical dermatology now, we have wonderful vehicles. There is no placebo effect anymore. People look at those acne studies. You, you look at the psoriasis studies. They say that, oh my God, your placebo is doing so well. Your active is crap. You know, I can use the placebo alone. First of all, you cannot use the placebo alone because it's not available. But it's not a placebo effect. It's a vehicle effect. When you have a good vehicle, the vehicle contributes to the well-being of the active. And if you look at this slide, you can see that, for example, Dapson gel with the active, it reduces erythema from almost 14% to 6.2%, and the vehicle alone decreases erythema from 15% to 8%. Almost 50% effect you're getting, similar effect getting, you're getting in decreasing the erythema with just the vehicle. So that's not a negative thing, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, it, because you can have a burning alcohol, flow of alcohol gel that's going to burn the, your face and your skin if you have a horrible vehicle, just like the generics. So there is a big difference why things work when you give the brand name and then patient gets the generic and it doesn't work, they come back and they complain. So there is a big difference with the vehicle. And that's a positive thing because it contributes to the success of the drug. Moving on with the acne world. Um, the other uh, important vehicle, that's a new vehicle, that's the one that's in Epidio, it's Simulgel. When you, again, Simulgel has been used actually for a long time in the cosmeceutical world. Uh, never been used in uh, medical dermatology, and this is the first time that used it in Epidio. And it has a 
not sensitive to pH variations. What does that mean? If you go back and think about with the Taclinex, when they tried to put the vitamin D and the steroid, they couldn't for a long time because they are sensitive to different pHs. Now you have a molecule, you have a vehicle that it's not sensitive to pH variations, so you can get and put different things together that they will degradate each other. For example, in this case, adapalene and benzoyl peroxide. You know benzoyl peroxide is a very unstable product, but they found the right vehicle that they were able to put it together. It's also not greasy. It doesn't have occlusive properties, which is very important when you're treating acne. Uh, of course, it's non-comedogenic, but it also has two humectants. Remember the story about the humectants, about the propylene glycol? If you have propylene glycol in the right amount, it's not only a penetration enhancer, but it's a humectant. If you go above 30%, you're gonna cause uh, contact allergy. So this vehicle has 4% uh, glycerol as well as 4% propylene glycol. So it, it, especially when you're treating acne, patient, you're, uh, you're irritating the patients, the humectant comes very, very handy. So you need those humectants, and you have it in this vehicle. Um, also, if you look at that slide, it actually is amazing that how that polymer, it's a polymer technology that's holding two different actives together in a stable environment. So you have the adapalene and you have the benzoyl peroxide, and they both are stable, they are active within that polymeric system. So again, the importance of the vehicle comes very, very handy, especially when you're doing combination treatment, when you're putting two different things in the same, uh, in the same drug. Now, not only vehicle is, um, uh, helps, but it also helps to the activity of the drug. So it helps to synergy when you have a combination, okay? Because why do we have combinations? I can take the adapalene and I can take the benzoyl peroxide to and a half percent, put one on top of another, it would work okay. You can think that way. But we know better than that that's not the case. And in this case, if you separate them and add their efficacy, their efficacy is less than the combination efficacy. So I'm gonna try to explain that a little bit better what I mean with that. And in order to be able to see that, we have to take the vehicle effect of the equation. So what that means is if you look at the, uh, if you look at the formula, you have to take the net benefit of the combination, and by net benefit meaning we're gonna take the vehicle effect out and then you add up the net benefit of the adapalene plus the net benefit of benzoyl peroxide, that should be less than the net benefit of your combination. So in this case, one plus one is not equal to two, but it's equal to maybe three or four. It's definitely more than two. That's the whole deal, that's the whole effect and the reason why we have combinations and why this combination works. Because remember, when you do combination uh, studies in order to get the drug approved, you have to compare your combination not only to the vehicle, but you have to compare it to the, each component of your combination. So you have four-arm clinical study, which is very difficult to achieve statistical significance. So your fourth arm, your combination in this case, is actually better than the combination of separate each component if you add those to each component.
And there was an article actually by Jerry Tan up in Canada. What they did was they, did, they looked at all the epidural studies. They took them all. It's like a meta-analysis. More than almost 4,000 patients, more than 3,800 patients. And then they looked at, as I said, the combination is one arm, adapalene is another arm, BPO is another arm, and the vehicle is another arm. And then I'm just going to show you one example so that I can explain it a little bit better. One primary endpoint, in this case, we're going to look at the total lesion count reduction. When you look at the total lesion count reduction, the net benefit of the combination of epidio basically was 7.4% at week four only, okay? So then, um, I'm sorry, at week one, I apologize. And then if you look at the separately BPO and adapalene, adapalene was 1.4% and BPO was 2.4% separately. If you add up those two, right, 1.4 plus 2.4, is equal to 3.8. So now you can see that 7.4 is much greater than 3.8. So your combination product has a significantly more efficacy than when you take those two separate products separately and add it up. And that's the reason why you should not be using those two separately one on top of another because you're getting much better effect from your combination. And that's called synergy. And if you look at the numbers, a very little at the bottom, it does show the in percentages. So the percentage of synergy contribution was almost 49% at week one. At week two, 44%, week four, 20%, week eight, nine and a half percent. So the synergy goes down because really the medicines start working anyway towards the end. So this also helps early onset of action of the drug. So you're seeing early results and patients like that. Why is this happening? What's the reason? Well, it has a lot to do what the drug is in. And what are they? Both of them are keratolytic, right? Both the adapalene and the benzoyl So they work together to increase the penetration of the skin and they help each other synergistically to penetrate and where it's supposed to go. You know, I'll tell you a story. Um, Long time ago, when I was a resident, uh, Rogan had just come out. And so, you know, I was taking showers with Rogan. I was almost drinking it. It didn't work. Then I said, what can I do to increase the penetration of the Rogan? Because I wanted that, I don't want it to stay on my scalp. I want it to go through the scalp and go to the hair follicle. At that time, there was a retina gel and that is irritating like hell. So I put that on my scalp first to irritate my scalp, my skin, so that the epidermal barrier goes down, the epidermal barrier function goes down, and the Rogaine can penetrate better. Um, so I still didn't get hair, but <laughs> what happens is, if you think about it, if you have two things together, they're helping each other, and the same thing is happening here. Maybe here, adapalene is decreasing the epidermal barrier a little bit, and BPO is penetrating better. And also, BPO probably is helping to disrupt the follicular biofilm, and then that helps the adapalene go through that hair follicle better. And this is how you get synergistic effect. So now, not only vehicles matter, but synergy matters because you're getting early onset of results. 
The next one, we're going to talk about metronidazole. If you think the old metronidazole was so irritating, the 0.75%, metronidazole is a hydrophobic molecule. You cannot stabilize it in a water environment. But in order to have a nice vehicle, you do need a hydrophilic environment. You want that humidity, you want that water on your skin. So they came up with a very genius way of doing it. It's called HSA3. What did they do? So you see that ball basically inside is hydrophobic. So they took the metronidazole, which is a hydrophobic molecule, put it in the inside the ball, and so it's stable. But outside that ball, the orange is hydrophilic. So it likes the water. So now you have a 92% water-based gel. And that's a great moisturizing environment. So they were able to take something that is not stable in water, but make it in a way that they make it stable in a water. And that's why the new Metrogel 1% formulation works really, really good. And it has nothing to do with the percentage, trust me. Uh, remember the propylene glycol, the humectant? Again, you have a little bit of propylene glycol here. It's less than 10%. Great humectant, niacinamide, great humectant. Niacinamide also helps to decrease the epidermal water loss to keep the epidermal barrier intact or repair. And we all need that because all the patients with rosacea, they have all, uh, impaired epidermal barrier because of the inflammation. So again, vehicles do matter. It's not the active, it's how you dress up your active. Now, in order to understand a little bit better why the vehicles matter, let's take a look at the epidermal barrier function because it's all related. Now, we all know stratum corneum is bricks and mortar, right? Uh, if you have a normal skin barrier, your bricks are intact, your lipids in between the mortar. But if you don't, the first thing that's going to happen, really, you're going to open your skin to infections because bacteria is going to go virus is going to go, the fungus is going to go, and then on top of that, you're going to get allergens. You're going to become more prone to develop contact dermatitis. That's basically what happens to atopic kids. Their epidermal barrier is impaired, and then they, become, they develop contact allergies. So now, barrier function matters. Why does it matter? If your barrier function is impaired, you, and the lipids are impaired, and I will go into it a little bit in more detail, you almost have a volcano in your skin that the water comes or the hydration comes and it evaporates through that volcano. So that's considered the transepidermal water loss. So your transepidermal water loss is directly related to epidermal function, barrier function. Higher the water loss, the worse your epidermal barrier function is. So therefore, if you have a humectant, Right? You can bring that humidity to up to the, to the stratum corneum, but you also need to have a, what we call an occlusive moisturizer because that's going to help because then the water is not going to evaporate. You will be able to occlude that and keep that humidity and water into the stratum corneum. So you need help more than a humectant. You need an occlusive moisturizer as well. So an ideal vehicle should have an occlusive moisturizer as well as a humectant together in order to prevent that uh, transepidermal water loss and keep that moisture in there. 
Are there vehicles like that? Yes. For example, if you take glycerin, which is a uh, humectant, which is in the uh, epidural uh, uh, vehicle, you take dimethicon, which is a occlusive moisturizer, then you make a very good combination. So that's one of the actually combination vehicles, again, that we have with the uh, clindamycin and benzoyl peroxide. That is in a hydrating vehicle with dimethicon and glycerin. So it does help to repair that epidermal barrier. So again, the theme is always the same because it all depends on your vehicle. Now, we did discuss that barrier function matters. Let's take a look at a little bit more detail. The corneocytes and the lipids and then the corneocytes are actually are together with the um, uh, together with are uh, held together with corneodesmosomes. What are those little dots in the corneocytes? Those are actually um, called natural moisturizing factor. They've been around for a long time, but we just we just discovered them back in 1959, and they are actually amino acids. They are hygroscopic amino acids that held onto the water. That's how they give humidity. And it is actually formed, it's the leftover material from filigree. Now we all know that atopic kids have deficiency, genetic deficiency of filigree. So if you don't have enough filigree, you're not going to have enough leftover from filigree, which is the NMF. Uh, what are they? Most of it is free amino acids, and then there's some other stuff, carboxylic acid, lactate, sugar, but the most of it are free amino acids. That's the natural moisturizing factor. Now let's go look at the mortar. The mortar is the lipids between the corneocytes, okay? Most of the lipids are ceramides, cholesterol, long-chain free fatty acids. 50% of all the lipids in the stratum corneum are ceramides. That's why there is so much hype about the ceramides nowadays. Then you have a little bit cholesterol and then the rest is uh, free fatty acids. Now don't remember, don't forget the desmosomes because they are also holding the corneocytes together. If you mess up with them, then the corneocytes are fall down. It's almost like the bricks will fall and your water, I mean your wall is gonna dilapidate. So ceramides is the key and you can see that's the structure. Uh, and basically they constitute most of the lipids, but their levels depend on many different things. And it's quite complicated, but just to put it simply, it depends on the pH of the skin. That's why if you use a harsh soap with the wrong pH, the epidermal barrier, the skin gets dry and the epidermal barrier gets impaired. So it's very important to get the right soap with the right pH. And the pH affects certain enzymes such as ceramidase, sphingomyelinase, beta-glucoseroprosidase. Basically what they do, they break down your ceramide. Depending on the pH, they break down the ceramide, now you're missing ceramides. Also there are a bunch of ceramides, up to seven I believe, but only some of them are important. One and three, for example, were significantly reduced in atopic dermatitis and therefore they affect transepidermal water loss. If you take healthy skin, and then if you take atopic dermatitis patients, lesional and non-lesional skin, you can see that the ceramides are significantly reduced in atopic dermatitis skin compared to healthy skin. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the lipid content. And the same thing with the ceramides. 
So ceramides and overall lipids are reduced, and ceramides in itself are also reduced uh, in atopic dermatitis skin. So the idea is, if you can replace those ceramides somehow, uh, or what we call those physiologic lipids, then hopefully you will help to reform and repair that epidermal barrier. So how do we do that? There are a bunch of new technologies now. There is Restoraderm, there is Proderm, which I'm gonna go through it one at a time. Restoraderm technology, which is the new Cetaphil for atopic dermatitis patients, has Pseudoceramide 5, and Pseudoceramide 5 has been around, again, in the cosmeceuticals, used by L'Oreal for a long time, and it actually is 5-N2-hydroxyhexadecanylsefenganine. So it's really not a ceramide, but it looks like a ceramide. What it does is it increases the levels of endogenous ceramide 1, 2, and 3. And remember what I just said? 1 and 3 matters in atopic dermatitis because they are missing. So if you can increase that, you're going to help to repair that epidermal barrier. It also contains niacinamide. <coughs> Excuse me. Niacinamide from the Metrogel HSA um, uh, vehicle, remember, it's a humectant. It brings the water up to the uh, stratum corneum. It's a nice humidifier. But it also helps and to increase the synthesis of free fatty acids by 2.3%, and then also cholesterol. It helps also to increase the um, glucosyl ceramide synthesis and sphingomyelin. So basically, niacinamide helps to make more lipids which is going to replenish the epidermal barrier. So it's a win-win situation. Niacinamide is a very nice molecule to have around in your vehicles. How does it work clinically? I always tell people that you know what you see in the test tube doesn't necessarily translate into success in real life. That's why I'm a big supporter of clinical studies. You've got to show me how those products do in real life. Well, they did uh, studies. They contained, actually, they compared the Cetaphil Restaurant and Moisturizer with eucerin and mimics and as, of course, untreated control. And they looked at the first corneometer. What does corneometer do? It basically measures the humidity in the skin. That's all it does. It's a, I have it in my office. We actually brought it from Germany, not everybody. It's not widely available in the US. If you're doing those non-invasive studies, it's a good tool to have. It's a little uh, probe. It's almost like ultrasound. You put it on the skin, and then the computer prints out the hydration level. So the corneometer measures the hydration level of the skin. And if you look at it over 24 hours, the bottom line is the restoraderm technology does much better compared to the eucerin or mimics. Also, they looked at the transepidermal water loss because that's important. That's the direct measure of epidermal barrier function. Now, it's good if your corneometer numbers are going up because that's increased hydration. It's good if the transepidermal water loss is going down because that's directly related to the uh, epidermal barrier. The worse your uh, transepidermal the higher the numbers are, the worse your epidermal barriers. So here, in this case, you, go, you see that it's going down after 24 hours, uh, after five days, actually. This is over five days. And you can see that mean reduction in the transepidermal water loss is the best. It's favoring the Cetaphil restoraderm compared to Mimics or Eucerin. Then, the whole point is, especially in atopic kids, you want to decrease your steroid use, right? 
So what they did was half of the body got just a steroid and the other side of the body got the steroid plus the Cetaphil Restorative Moisturizer. They looked at it day 7, 14, 21, and 28, just like a regular atopic derm study. And the inclusion criteria was mild to moderate atopic derm patients. And what they found out that the group with the steroid plus the Restorative did much better in, uh, in improvement in their EASE score. Uh, so again, I think it does make sense that if you repair your epidermal barrier, especially in atopic patients, you're gonna do much better with than the steroid alone. And don't forget one thing, steroids actually do negatively affect the epidermal barrier because they do sort of dissolve and they do inhibit the lipid synthesis. So just keep that in the back of your mind. How about the proderm technology? So there is more than one technology, restoraderm technology, proderm technology, they all aim at the same thing, to repair the epidermal barrier. And so this is actually, this shows that if, if you put the physiologic lipids on the skin, it's penetrating, it's going to the epidermis, and then they also have dimethicon in it. Remember, dimethicon is an occlusive moisturizer that was also in the Duox vehicle that I discussed. And you can see that here, physiologic lipids, the original idea, you're replenishing them. That's how you're helping to repair the epidermal barrier. Dimethicon is an occlusive moisturizer, and glycerin is the humectant. Same idea, it keeps coming back. You have the humectant, it brings the water to the top layer of the skin. You have the dimethicon, you're occluding it, you're keeping your uh, humidity into the skin. And then you have the physiologic lipids being replenished in the stratum corneum, and therefore repairing your epidermal barrier. Well, let's see how much it works. It does work, it's the neosalis form. It's actually the same idea, they did the corneometry study, because when you do those epidermal barrier function tests, corneometry and transepidermal water loss is standard, basically, okay? So they did the same study with 24 patients with atopic dermatitis, and you can see that there is increased hydration with neosalis, the same idea. How about, um, they also did the same study with atopic dermatitis. In this case, one arm got fluticasone uh, plus the neosalis, the other arm uh, just the uh, steroid. And the one with the steroid plus the neosalis did much better in decreasing IgA, BSA, and ease in atopic dermatitis. So the bottom line is the team is repeating itself with different products regardless what you're using. If you have something good that's gonna help the repair the epidermal barrier, your treatment is gonna be much more successful. So I think, I hope I was able to convince you that barrier function does matter. But is it only in um, disease state? It's the same thing in cosmetics. For example, there are so many retinols in the market and they have all those claims and probably they are very good when you put it on the skin, but it doesn't go through the skin. So there's a new retinol suspension. Now it's a suspension, not an emulsion by Biopel that basically it does do the same things because it's in a suspension, it penetrates better. It increases the conversion ratio. What do I mean by that? Because the, what's the active? It's a retinoic acid, it's not retinol, right? So you wanna be able to increase that conversion of the retinol to the retinoic acid. 
it also has positive effect on the transepidermal water loss. So now you have a retinol that has a higher bioavailability, uh, but it also doesn't irritate as much because it is decreasing the uh, irritation by decreasing the transepidermal water loss by helping the epidermal barrier. So how is it doing that? Because you have high number of proteins there. You have collagen, you have high sodium hyaluronate, and they act like they grab the water, they hold on to the water, and they act as a humidifier. I did a study uh, for that, uh, and it was a very, very small study, single center, open label, just like a um, um, pilot study. We looked at the wrinkles and overall photo damage. And if you look at the numbers, for example, cheek wrinkles, uh, they improved 23% at the end of the three months. Under eye wrinkles improved 57%. Crossfit improved 43%. Those are pretty good numbers. Overall photo damage improved 40%. If you look at the IgA grading, in six weeks, 100% improved by one grade. In 12 weeks, 100% improved by two grades. So they got pretty good results with just an over-the-counter regular retinol. Why? It's the same retinol. It is the vehicle. That's why. Um, and how is that happening? Because suspension, it increases the penetration and the bioavailability, unlike an emulsion. And then high concentration of the proteins, they help speeding up and increase the conversion to the active metabolite. And it also gives the humid, uh, humid environment. So, after all, if I were not able to convince after all those things, if you don't believe anything I said, I'm just going to show you one more thing. Vehicle does matter to the degree that it does change the potency of your topical steroid. The best example is you can take betamethasone dipropionate 0.05%, okay? Same topical steroid at the same percent strength, and I can change the potency in changing the vehicle. <clears throat> Look at this. I can put it in a lotion, diprozone lotion, that's a class 5 potency. Or I can make it diprolin ointment, that's class 1. Or I can make it diprozone ointment, that's class 2. Diprozone cream is class 3. I can take the same active at 0.05%, the same steroid, and I can play around with the potency of the steroid by putting it in different vehicles. So that should be convincing enough for you, if everything else did not convince you. And even if that doesn't do it, then just go back to earlier years and think about it. When you went to pick up your girlfriend with a bicycle, with a taxi cab, or with the Alfa Romeo, and even the guy is bald, he got the bride. And of course, it helps to be the Prince Williams. So thank you for your attention. If you have any questions, I'll be more than happy to answer them.